Well, old Boudreaux, he went to sit down with the banker. The banker called him over, had him sit down. He said, Boudreaux, I got to talk to you. He says, let me tell you something. Every one of your accounts are overdrawn. Boudreaux, what's the problem? Why you keep, you're not paying your bills on time, you're behind in all your loans, all these problems, I'm going to have to shut you down, I'm going to have to take you to court. Boudreaux, what's going on? And Boudreaux said, yeah, I know, I know. He said, but Marie, my wife, I just, she just spends the money and spends the money and just overspends the money, I don't know what to do, I, just, I, I know, I, I know it's bad. And he said, well, Boudreaux, you got to get a handle on this. Why why you keep letting this happen? He said, well, I'll be honest with you. He said, I'd rather have you fuss at me than to have to deal with Marie all day long. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Today, we're talking about rich in God. We're going into a new series called Rich in God. And in this series, our goal is to study the Word of God. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first became a Christian, started going to church, uh, I really struggled with the preacher wanting to talk about money. Uh, But if you'll study the Scriptures, you'll realize that Jesus... Talk more about money than he did heaven. Talk more about money than he did hell. And he talked more about money than he did sex. All right, so Jesus actually recognized how critical money is in our life. Riches, wealth, poverty, resources. And so the Bible covers it as one of the top three topics in all of Scripture. In fact, it's in the top three more verses about money than, than most every other subject. It's in the top three. It's unbelievable. And what happens many times is, is people don't want to talk about that in church. They don't want to hear that. And the reason why is because maybe they felt manipulated by the preacher to give money to the church so they could build bigger buildings and do other things like that. But at the end of the day, as your pastor, I cannot make you a holistic Christian without teaching you his principles about finances and money. I can't make you a, a, a sincere, righteous man and woman of God without helping this particular area because it's such a critical area in our lives. In fact, each and every one of us view money and riches and wealth mostly by the way we, were, the way we were raised, how we grew up. If some of you grew up a little more impoverished, you probably have this insight about money. And your money thoughts probably get as much as you can, hold on as much as you can. Or maybe you grew up middle class and mom and dad bought everything for you. And so your concept might be spend as much as you can, enjoy as much as you can. Or maybe you grew up super, super wealthy. Kind of that blue bloods mentality. You got more money than anybody knows what to do. I'd like to meet with you after service. We have some projects. We're believing God. I'm just, just being stupid. I'm just being stupid. But whatever the way you were raised, whatever you saw your parents do or not do, has affected you and what your concept is. And as we study the scriptures, we'll realize that some of our concepts actually repeal and go against the concepts of God and his plans for you and I. And so with that being said, let's jump into our key verse. It's found in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19 through 21. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19 through 21, it says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. Now this is Jesus speaking. Where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Verse 20. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is... There your heart will be also. Jesus gives out kind of the core principle of money and finances by giving us a better understanding of what life is all about. He says it like this. He says, don't live your life every day in this world trying to store up for yourself treasures. Because all it's going to do is rust away. Moths are going to eat it away. Like the old preacher said, you know, I never saw a U-Haul hooked to a hearse. You can't bring it to heaven with you. And I thought, Jesus continues on, he goes, but store for yourself riches 
in heaven. So he makes a clear, doctrinal, definitive statement that there will be treasures that we're able to store up in heaven. In fact, if I could help you a little bit with your concept of heaven and hell, judgment, as we read through scriptures, we find a couple truths. The first truth is there will be a great judgment where God the Father separates the sheep from the goats. All of humanity will stand before him and be separated out. For the sheep's eternal life, those who belong to God, Christians, to eternal life with him in heaven forever. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place. A place has been prepared for us. And then for everyone else who would not give Jesus the time of day, would not make God, uh, their li- uh, Jesus, their living Savior, would not accept him and live by his principles. What happens with them, as Scripture says, they'll, be, they'll damn themselves to eternal fire, separated from God. Then, Corinthians teaches us, the Corinthian letters teach us, there'll be a second judgment. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. A second judgment. And as you study through Corinthians, Paul lays it out like this, that we will be then judged based on what we did and didn't do according to Jesus' teachings, how we lived it out. We will be judged based on that and then thereby receive rewards in heaven. We'll receive rewards in heaven. And so scholars argue about this and they go back and forth. There's no definitive piece on what will be our rewards. There's no definitive piece. You know, will we have a bigger house than the guy over here because he didn't, he didn't tithe as much or because this one didn't love their neighbor as much? Will, will you have a giant lake in your backyard where all they have is a little, uh, a little brook in their backyard? Will, will you be six foot tall? Thank you, Jesus. Or what, what, will, what will be the rewards? We're not really sure because the Bible doesn't speak about it, but he clearly speaks about, and this scripture alludes to it, that store for yourself riches and treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot take it away. So Jesus is making a definitive statement that there's a difference between being wealthy in this life and being wealthy in the life to come. There's a, there's a way, if you will, to be rich in God that affects not only the life that you live now, but the life to come. And Jesus makes that definitive statement. And the whole crutch of this series and today's specific message is that you and I want to be rich in God. I don't want to be rich in the things of this world. I want to be rich in God. When I stand before him, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I want him to embrace me and walk me over into my giant mansion and put me in my bed and my bed's going to be one of those beds that the morning in the morning I wake up and it takes me the be- I don't even have to get out of bed it takes me into a shower it cleans me off takes my clothes puts them on me travels me down through to my pond down the down the bottom of the hill catches me a big bass brings me back up cooks it for me then brings me over to heaven so I can worship at the throne of God for a little bit then I'll go about my duties being in charge of y'all I mean being in charge of something and and whatever maybe I'm I don't know maybe I'm, I'm honing out you know new uh, gold bricks I don't know but I can't wait because why? He says, I go to prepare a place for you. He's got a place for me. I want to be rich in God. I don't want to be rich in the things of this world. And Jesus is clarifying that. He speaks how clearly that is. And the reason why he says these teachings about being rich in God versus rich in the things of this world, because he understands, he's helping us understand that all of us have a sense of greed inside of us. We all do. We all live for us. Their selfish ambition constantly has to be crucified. Greed has to constantly be crucified. We constantly have to put that down so that we can live for the purposes of God. I don't know if you saw this a few years ago in Virginia. This made national headline news. There's a man by the name of Herson Torres. And uh, he was making $11 an hour unloading trucks at Target. Or at our house we call it Target's. And uh, he gets a text message from one of his high school classmates that he hadn't talked to in a while. 
and said, hey, Torres, would you like to make $25,000 in a weekend? And so he texted back, sure, what are we doing? And he goes, we're going to be robbing banks. Ha, ha, ha. Come meet me for coffee. And so Torres goes and meets his high school friend for coffee, which he begins to tell him, I have been hired by the CIA. The CIA is trying to catch these bank robbers that keep robbing the banks in the area, and they have a task to check the security systems and protocols of these banking establishments. And they've hired me and asked me to find everyday guys that don't have anything crazy in their background to where we can be entrusted to go in we're going to have these letters that are written. We'll hand it to the teller and says, I have a bomb. Give me $25,000, small bills, and, uh, and, I won't, and, and don't push the silent alarm. So Torres says, wow, really? Yep. And if we get caught and we go to jail, the CIA will come in and they'll say, hey, look, you know, we hired them to do this. And so they'll get us out of jail and pay us for our time. Torres says, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do it. Made national news. So these guys started robbing banks. Well, they got away with it with a couple of banks. And then on the third or fourth bank, they got busted. And they're sitting in jail. And they're sitting in front of attorneys and district attorneys and all these people. And come to find out, there is no CIA operative. There is no plan to get them out of jail. How stupid can you be? But the bottom line is, is each and every one of us have that little bit of greed in us that makes us do stupid things. Just the concept of, hey, bro, hadn't talked to you in four or five years. Let's rob banks for the CIA to test their security systems. And we get to keep the $25,000 if we can get it from them. You and I sitting here in church goes, that's stupid. But how many times have we done some stupid stuff? Like you have a 12-year lease on a Honda Civic. <laughs> or how many times could you not just buy the cheaper version of that? You had to have the top-knot version of that. And when we're all looking at you going, why did you buy that? You have no money. You don't even have a job. Had to have it. God spoke to me that I am, I am royalty and I must wear this purple everywhere I go. It's amazing how dumb we can be all because of greed in each and every one of us. There's a key passage we're going to study today. It's found in Luke chapter 12, verse 16, where Jesus kind of deals with this in a real solid way. Uh, In chapter 12 and verse 16, Jesus tells a parable in response to an engagement that he had with this this brother of of another man. Let's, Let's jump into verse 16. He says, and he told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and goods and my goods. In verse 19, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Verse 20, but God said to him, you fool." This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Verse 21, Jesus summarizes it. He says, this is, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich in God. Jesus is standing with a crowd of people when a young man 
interrupts it all and says, Jesus, tell my brother to give me my portion of the inheritance. And Jesus says, I can't get involved in that. You've got to understand, Jewish culture, um, the eldest son would receive the bulk of an inheritance at the passing of a dad. Uh, if there were two sons, uh, that eldest would receive two-thirds of the inheritance, the money, the wealth, and that younger brother would receive a third. And in this scenario, the younger brother obviously has even been cheated out of his third because the executor of the will would have been the oldest brother. He would have had full rights and obviously has cut the younger brother, which is unjust and wrong. And so this young man in front of everyone cries out to Jesus, solve this problem for me, which is not Jesus's job. He's not a part of the judicial system. He's Messiah. And so Jesus says, I won't get involved in that. But in the midst of having this engagement, he sees something in this young man. He sees greed. He sees greed down inside of him. So he goes into a story. And the reason why God, uh, uh, Jesus would tell stories and parables is because just teaching principles doesn't always sink in. You need examples so that you can see it many times. So he gives an example. He said there was a wealthy man. Everybody say wealthy man. There's a wealthy man who had a bumper crop. That dude won the lottery. He's already rich. He's already pretty well off. But he has an explosion blessing from, I mean, just huge. And he says to himself, what will I do? And so he decides, I will tear down my barns and build for myself newborns. I will build bigger newborns and I will store up for myself all of the goods that I have gotten in this big bumper blessing crop that I have. Then I will sit back and I will live my life with ease. I will eat, drink, and be merry. And then Jesus continues his story and says, and then God comes to that man in the midst of his arrogance, in the midst of his greed, and basically, if I could summarize Adam McCain version, says, who gave you this, sucker? I gave you this. And so today, your life is required of you because in your greed, in your arrogance, You did not think about any of the poor people around you. You didn't care to help anyone else. But instead, you wanted to take all of it for yourself and sit back with ease to eat, drink, and be merry. And so today you will die and someone else will spend all of your labor. And then Jesus continued on with that last verse. This is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich in God. It's a crazy statement. Jesus tells a story. He's looking at a young man. The young man's been done dirty. And Jesus tells this story. Why is he telling this story? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you went through an inheritance battle with your brothers and sisters over $100,000. This one was wrong, and this one did you wrong, and this one did this, and now you don't even talk to each other. The relationship has been destroyed over that little bit of greed in each person's heart. Well, that's mine. I'm deserving of it. Jesus said in the scriptures, he said, why not be done wrong so that peace can, can be maintained in the relationship? Why do you have to fight for that $10,000, that $20,000? Why do you have to do it when, when the relationship is so much more important because there's so many more valuable things about heaven than worried about these stupid things here on earth? And Jesus said it like this. He says, and if you ask, you shall receive. And that God knows what you have need of and that he will take care of your needs. He never promised to give us all our little wants. He just always promised to take care of our needs. And so in this whole concept, Jesus is punching this kid in the face with a truth. 
That yes, you've been done dirty. Yes, that's unjust. But at the end of the day, you're breaking relationship with your brother because of the greed of your heart. And even if you had all that you could have, everything you could ever want, what would you then do with it? And Jesus says, do not store up for yourself riches in, them, in this life, but store up for yourself riches in the life to come. Friend, can I help us today? I don't know about you, but I want to be rich in God. I want to, it's more important to me that, man, I know the living God and that money doesn't have control over me, but God has control over me and money is simply a tool to do his great work. I'll tell you right now, he who can be trusted with little can be ruler over much. But when money has a hold of you, when it dictates where you go to school, when it dictates who you talk to and who you don't talk to, when it dictates how you buy your clothes and how you don't buy your clothes, when it dictates who you're friends with and who you're not friends with, money has control over you. And Jesus very clearly says it, very clearly. He says, stop Letting that happen, store up for yourself riches in the life to come. Oh, friend, for you and I to be the kind of people who actually embrace the riches of God. I want to be rich in God. Jesus said it like this in dealing with a, with a conflict situation in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, depending on how you were raised, there's this book back in the late 80s, early 90s, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And in that secular book, it laid out that depending on your concept, you either have a rich mentality or a poor mentality. And either one is still being controlled by money. That when you and I come to God and we surrender ourselves to him, that that money no longer has control over us, but we have control over it. So that kingdom business could be accomplished. Can I just say this to you? I believe with all of my heart as your pastor, God wants to entrust you with millions of dollars. He said, oh, yes, Lord, prophesy, pastor. Ooh, careful. Because what would you do with that? Would you store it up so that you could live a life of ease? So that you could eat, drink, and be merry? Because he said, for this day, your life will be required of you. Jesus said in this Matthew passage, there are two masters happening here. There's the God of heaven and earth. And of all things that Jesus could have said was the great master of the earth, he didn't say sex. You can't serve both God and sex. You can't serve both God and pleasure. He didn't do that. He went back to the root. And that is the love of money. You can't serve them both. You've got to make a choice. Either God is your God and you'll trust him to provide for you and your family. That God is your God and he'll take care of you. And that when money comes through your hands, that it's simply for that resource to come through your hands to not only take care of your family, stop using your family as an excuse, but also to take care of the business of God. And as you and I become conduits for that, then money no longer has a control over us. You've got to pick, are you going to serve God or are you going to serve money? And many of us live our whole life trying to get more, trying to get more. Why? So that one day... One day, because we're scared that there'll be no social security for us, one day we'll be able to sit back in ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And Jesus actually is dealing with this thing. Does money have you or do you have it? Is it controlling how you think, how you give, when you give, when you don't give? You've got to understand, as an only child, we didn't grow up with anything, really. As an only child, I had a concept. I'm going to get as much money as I can. I'm going to wield it with all the strength and power that I can so that I'm never intimidated again by people with money, 
so that I intimidate them. So I drive up with the nicest car, so I wear the nicest clothes. And when I became a Christian, God began to challenge what God I was serving. I told the story in the first, this story in the first service. We had gotten radically saved, on fire for God. And ever since I was a kid, eight years old, I would go out, I'd cut grass, I would make money. I was a little hustling machine. I would go out the golf course down the street, I would go get on the golf course, swim in the, in the ponds, get, get all the ball, golf balls off the bottom of the pond, and then resell it to the golfers as they were coming back by, making money hand over fist. I mean, I was a little hustler. And then at about 13 years old, I decided I wanted a Schwinn Predator. It was the hottest BMX-type box bike out. And if young people, um, back in my day, we, we rode our bicycles, and um, we went places. That's what happened. There was no Uber to come pick us up from school. <laughs> and so we ride our bikes, and the coolest bike, I mean, you trick out your bike. Some of y'all are old enough to remember them days. Well, mom and dad didn't have no money. They just got married, you know, and, and, and dad was in so much debt from all them drug days. Anyway, so, 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 so I had to work for my own bike. If I wanted a bike, I was going to have to get it myself. So I worked. I saved up all my money. Well, one Sunday after church, mom wanted to have one of those family moments. Let's go driving out in the country. Yeah. Ah, okay, mom, we love you. We're going to drive out in the country. So we were driving out in the country, and we came around one of these farm, F, 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 farm road, 105 or something, and right on the corner of this big farm road, out in the middle of nowhere, is some dude has put up a tent, and he's having a, 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 a revival, a revival, tent revival. And it uh, starts at like 4 or 5 o'clock. When we look down, it's, it's 5 till. And Mom's like, let's pull in. I'm like, no. I don't want to do this. I want to go home and watch football. So we pull in. We get out and we go, and, and let's, I mean, dirt floors, chairs set up, and they're about to start worship. And, the, and the, obviously the preacher's wife is the one playing the keyboard, and their kids are singing, and nobody else is in the tent. So we sit down, you know, and they're singing and worshiping. And mom's like, isn't this great? I'm like, there's nobody here. <laughs> so, and then he gets to the point, you know, where they stop the worship, and he gets up, and some can give a 1,000. Some of you here can give 10000 Like, dude, there's nobody here but us, and I know we can't give 1000 <laughs> He starts into this offering thing. And then he says this thing. He says, would you ask God if he would like you to help our ministry continue on by giving an offering tonight? And so I was stupid enough to do that. I bowed my head and said, God, if you want me to give anything to these guys because this is really your work, then you just speak to me. And the Lord spoke to me, give your entire savings that you're about to buy that bicycle with. I said, I bind every high thought that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. Makes you surrender to the things of God right now in Jesus' name. Came again, give it away, give it away, give it away. What was he doing? He was challenging which God would I serve. Which one had me? And I said, uh, I leaned over to mom. I said, I think God wants me to give my savings for my bicycle. Well, you know, she's spirit-filled. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I'll write a check for you right now. You can pay me back out of your savings account. I was like, you got to be kidding me. So he wrote that check, and I walked that thing up, put it in that little bucket right then, and as soon as I let go of it, something shifted in me. And I want to testify to you today, something shifted. Money no longer had me. God had me. And from that point forward, God was able to do things. He got me that bicycle. He did miracles after miracles. It's crazy what God has done for us financially and wonderfully. And, and, and we've learned just to be a conduit. I'll never forget when God told me to give a car away. Why would God ask me to give one of my cars away? Lazy people need to get their own cars. Come on, somebody. I work hard for this car. 
I'll never forget, he told me to give it to one of the single ladies in our church. I'm like, oh, they don't need a car. They got an old beat-up car. Single lady always broke down on the side of the road. We were all trying to go help her all the time. God said, give her this nice car that you have. I was like, no. Four months, I said, no, no, it's not God. It's not God. I'm making it up in my mind. I go preach out in Waxahachie at this guy's church, and after, the, after I'm preaching, I start laying hands on all the leaders and stuff. And then afterwards, they go, hey, can we pray for you? I was like, sure. So I stood in the middle, they all circled around me, all the leaders, and they start praying for me. And this little 800-year-old woman walks up to me. <laughs> and she says, the Lord says to you, stop being rebellious and give the car away. <laughs> and I'm like, What? Like Elijah, <laughs> you are old. You know, like, where did this prophecy come from? I couldn't believe it. I was like, yes, ma'am, I'm going to do it. I'm so sorry, God. I'm going to stop being rebellious. Because I could feel, guess what was happening? The spirit of this world, the God of mammon, was trying to grab my heart again. I- I'm a pastor. I'm your pastor. Our church is barely up and going in this moment. That's why I didn't want to give my car away. I needed it. Because y'all ain't have enough money to give enough time to give me a, ju- give me a paycheck. Why do you think I'm preaching everywhere so I can get an honorarium or something? Now, give my car away. So I get in the car, and I'm, I'm driving back. I call my wife. It's 1130 at night. I said, hey, baby, call so-and-so and tell her we're giving, giving, our, giving her my car. And uh, she says, Adam, it's 1130 at night. I said, baby, it takes 30 minutes from Waxahachie to Cedar Hill. If you don't call her right now, in the next 30 minutes, I will change my mind. I'm telling you right now. The Spirit of the Lord's on me right now, but I'm going to rebel against it if you don't do this right now. Come on, you know yourself, don't you? I mean, like, do it now before I have time to think about it. Because I can give you 25 reasons why it's a bad decision. And can I tell you something? We gave her that car. God, you just can't outdo God. He's always taking care of my needs. No one showed up and gave me the keys to a Mercedes. No one did anything dumb. That's just, I even hate that kind of teaching. But God has always sustained me. Why? Because it's about who is your Lord? Who is your master? Who is your provider? I want to be rich in God. Are you with me today? Say yes. Come on, you can do better now. Are you, are you with me? Say yes. And Jesus says, listen, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and man. That's why when you hear the preacher asking for money, you're like, uh-huh, you get angry on the inside. Why? Because you'll despise the one and love the other. When someone begins to ask you for help and you begin to get angry about it on the inside, it's why? Because money has control over you. That, that's why that thing stirs up inside of you. I, I can testify. I can remember sitting there looking at the pre line and giving you nothing. You have a nicer car than our family has. You wear nicer clothes. And I didn't understand. It had nothing to do with about the preacher. This is about me and God. And when I finally got a revelation of this, it had nothing to do with it. had nothing to do with then I could give money to homeless people. Then I could, then I could help my neighbor. Because something shifted. Why? Because the God of money no longer had control over me. But the living God was my master. And see, when the God of money... Is your master, you don't realize you do stupid stuff. It doesn't even make sense in the long haul. You think that, you know, you've got this little business plan laid out, and then all of a sudden this happens and that happens. I'll give you a great example. I've only told this one other time from the pulpit, and so I hate that this is being recorded in live stream. (laughs) But a couple Christmases ago, I had been believing for a new laptop. I was like, God, I need a new laptop. I know you're going to provide it for me. I started praying for it. And Christmas came, and nobody got me a laptop. A lot of rebellion in my family. I'm going to just speak that out. <laughs> so I was going to have to take it on my own. And, and God's going to have to do a miracle through something else because my family. Went. But my mother-in-law was so sweet. That Christmas she gave me $200. It was huge. And so it was Christmas Day. 
and I went up to Walmart to get some gas in the car. And I'm sitting there pumping gas. It's like 10, 11 o'clock at night. And I hear this guy go, psst. I turned around, this big old dude standing there behind me. I'm like, boy, don't roll up on me like that. Because I'm from the hood, so I don't know. I'm about to douse him with gas and light him on fire. I don't, I don't have my gun on me, so, you know, sorry. I don't have any other weapons on me. And so, um, and so he goes, I'm so sorry, sir, to sneak up on you. He says, but listen, I, I, listen, he's got this, he's got this uh, FedEx outfit on. He goes, listen, I work for a FedEx, and, uh, and for Christmas, uh, there was an oversell of Apple products, uh, uh, overstorage of Apple products, and they let us as employees buy them at pennies on the dollar. And I have a whole trunk full of Apple laptop computers and iPads. And, uh, and listen, I know that sounds strange, but I'm on my way to my niece's uh, Christmas party, and I don't have anything for her, and I just need, I just, I, I want to get her something nice. And so I'm selling these. I only paid $175 for these brand new in the box. I'm, oh, I'm looking at the box. They're shrink wrap. They're, I mean, they're gorgeous. It's the white box with all the apples. I mean, it's the Apple product. It's heavy. It feels just like it. iPad box is the same. He's only got three or four of them left, he said. And I'm like, I, I'm like, whoa, what? And he goes, listen, and I only need to make, I, I need to just get rid of them and get my money back. I'll sell them to you for $200 for this laptop. You know it sells for, you know, $1,500. And I was like, I got $200. I just, I just got it, but it's at my house. I said, listen, I'll be right back. He goes, well, I'm, I'm going to go up to uh, David's Chicken up the road. He goes, meet me there. I said, okay. So I get in my car, and I start driving back. I'm stupid, okay? Just admit that with me, all right, in the storyline. And so I'm driving. I go get my $200. Jamie's like, where are you going? It's 11 o'clock at night. I'm like, God's got a miracle happening, and I'll tell you when I get back. I take my $200. But as I'm driving, I realize this might not be a good idea. So I called Pastor Jonathan Pena. I was like, hey, listen, I need you to come meet me over at the chicken place. He goes, what's up? I said, bring your gun, bring your big truck. I said, I got this deal happening, man. It's a God deal. This guy's got brand new laptops. He's selling them to me out of his trunk, but it's God. God's in it. They're, I mean, the box is perfect. Still got the stickers on them. It's awesome. And it, I mean, it's awesome. And he goes, uh, he goes, okay, so is, you're my pastor. So am I doing this as a directive or, you know, like, yeah, get your butt in the truck. Let's go over here. And so I waited for him. I said, now you pull in the, drive, in the parking lot first, and then I'll pull up. They won't know you're with me. And, and, and if, if they hit me, they stab me or something, you hit them with your truck, shoot them something, all right? But make sure everybody knows what happened to the pastor. He's like, okay. And so, and so I wait till he's parked, and, and they're sitting there in the car. So I go walking over the car. They jump out, pop the trunk. I give them the $200. I get the box. They drive off. I go jump in Pastor Jonathan's truck. And I was like, you big dummy. You could have had one for $200 too. Ah, see, I didn't get killed. <laughs> and I start opening, and it's phone books in a box that has been shrink-wrapped with stickers on it. They lied to me and cheated me, and I got nothing but a good education. I grew up in the hood. You don't buy nothing out of a trunk. I know better than that. But I have done this. Why? Even Now, this was just like two Christmases ago. Because <laughs> what's in that heart? What's in that heart? So you can't even trust your own heart. That's why we have to make Jesus master and be sure that money never takes back mastership. Are you with me? Say yes. I want to be rich in God. Friend, don't store for your stuff uh, for yourself uh, stuff in this life, or moth and rust is going to destroy it. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? What if what if you amass millions and millions of dollars? You know what's going to happen? That money, 
Your crazy kid's going to blow it once you're dead. Think that through a little bit. You said, no, I raised my kids right. Yes, and the Bible says that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. But that inheritance is so much more than money. It's about how to handle money. It's about how to walk integrity. The greatest gift my mom and dad are leaving me is how to love people the way God loves people. They don't have to give me millions of dollars. That alone is worth my whole existence because I'm learning to store up riches in heaven as they've taught me that, as they've lived that out in front of all of us, including me. So let me give you, if you're going to be rich in God, as we study these parables, we study these teachings, I would give you three choices that you and I have to make on a daily basis to be rich in God. Three choices that you and I have to make every day to be, to be rich in God. Number one, we got to choose God over gold every day. Look what Proverbs 27, 24 says, Riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. How about Proverbs 28 and verse 6? It says, Better a poor man whose walk is blameless than a rich man whose ways are perverse. Proverbs 28, 20. A faithful man will be richly blessed, but one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. Friend, can I tell you something? Every day, you and I need to wake up and say, God, my life is not my own. I choose you over gold, over riches, over money. God, I will not sell my soul so that I can be wealthy, so that I can be important in other men's eyes. God, bring wealth to me that I may distribute it properly into the kingdom business so that I can see my neighbor come to know Christ. And I'll tell you something like this. This weekend, I was asked to come minister at a young adult conference in upstate New York. I was tired, didn't want to do it. We've been planning in it for months, and, uh, and, and I didn't get to drive, you know, I'm bouncing around from airplane to airplane. We're doing, the church is in full-on revival right now. So many people are coming. So many lives are being changed. I really don't have time to go away, but I kept feeling the Lord saying, this is my, I need you to do this. I need you to do that, and I get there, and, 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 and it's, it's amazing how young 19-year-olds are now. It's unbelievable, and, uh, and so I'm ministering to them and ministering to them, and, uh, and I, in the middle of one of, one of my sermons, and, and, and hundreds of young people get right with God, uh, hundreds of them, their lives are completely turned around. Get baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's unbelievable. But the one piece that made the most impact on me is in the middle of one of my teachings, I was speaking and I said, you know what? How horrible of a Christian would I be if I let my Muslim friends go to hell? My Muslim friends are more dedicated to a religion that's not the right religion than most Christians are to the one true God. They have no real relationship with Allah because he's not real. He doesn't talk to them. He doesn't engage them because he's not there. And he promises them, their religion promises them nothing. They don't even know that they're secure in their eternal paradise. And so that's why to be extreme causes them to feel better that at least they get ahead of everyone else because they've been extreme. I said, and how horrible of a person would I be if I didn't teach them that Jesus said that he was the way, the truth, and the life, that no man comes to the Father except through him. How terrible of a person would I be if I didn't try to help my Muslim friends turn around and go the opposite direction on the highway that they're on and serve the one true living God. And as I said that, unbeknownst to me, but there was a young lady, 18 years old, that had been brought, 17, 18 years old, that had been brought by a friend to that conference. She sat there, she, she's a Muslim girl, she sat there all her life, having served Allah, having been in the Muslim faith, with tears coming down her cheek as God was beginning to reveal to her through my little, my little stint about Islam. It just it wasn't even my topic, it's just a rant that I went on. You know, you get it every Sunday. And so in that moment, the conviction of God came over and she got down on her knees and asked Jesus into her life. And she is a, a born again Christian today. I didn't want to do that. It wasn't worth the time. It wasn't worth the effort, but I want to be rich in God. Come on, somebody. 
rich in God. God will ask you, will you love money more than you love me? And he'll put you to the test day in and day out. Life will put you to the test. Here's the second choice to be rich in God that you and I have to make daily, and that is people above pleasure. People above pleasure. Proverbs 28, 8. He who increases his wealth by exorbitant interest amasses it for another who will be kind to the poor. What that scripture is saying is you cheat people, you, you, you talk about you giving them a discount when really you're overcharging them, and you're amassing wealth at their expense, that someone else will take you over and give to the poor. Because people should take precedence over your own personal pleasure. This is God's way. Here's another passage. Look at Proverbs 28, 27. He who gives to the poor will lack nothing. But he who closes his eyes to them receives many curses. So I used to be poor. So you know what? They just need to pull themselves receives many straps. The Bible says he who gives to the poor will lack nothing. But he who closes his eyes to them receives many curses. Here's the third choice that you and I have to make if we're going to be rich in God, and that is eternity over ease. Proverbs 27.1, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. In the 50s, there was a man by the name of Howard Hughes. Anybody recognize the name? That's because he was the richest man on earth in the 40s, 50s era, kind of that era. He was the one who built airplanes. He's the one who basically ruled Hollywood. He's a single man who dated every woman he wanted, had sex with anybody he wanted, amassed. uh, Before anyone could ever spell the word billion, he was a billionaire. I mean, he was so wealthy. But the Bible says again, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? As he grew into his 50s, I don't even think he made it out of his 50s. That wealth, all that money. All of that prestige. I mean, he was a playboy. I mean, he would uh, he, he fly all over the world, have lunch, you know, in, in, in Italy, and then fly over to so-and-so and have, and, 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 you know, over in, in Paris and, and have dinner. You know, just crazy life that he lived. Full on anything he wanted. There towards the end of his life, he was so scared that everyone was trying to steal his money that he became a recluse and he lived in the top floor of a hotel there in Las Vegas. You can go research this out. It's a crazy story. In fact, he was so scared of all the germs that you had that was going to kill him, they wouldn't let anybody come into his presence. And so every day, a little porter would bring the food, knock on the door, remove himself from the hallway, and then Howard Hughes would come, get the food, eat it, and then leave the leftover plates that afternoon. And after a couple weeks of the porter saying, hey, he's not eating his food, but he doesn't want to be bothered, Finally, they got nervous about it, and they kicked in the door, and they found him dead. His hair was all grown out like a wild person. His fingernails were all grown out off his fingers, like some, you know, they said some three and four inches. He was dead in his own feces, surrounded with money, burning $100 bills in the fireplace just because he was scared someone was going to take it from him. Friend, let me tell you something. Money is a wicked taskmaster. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? And that man is burning in hell today. And if he was here, if Howard Hughes was here, he would say to you, don't give in to the lie. Don't give in to the lie. He would tell you, I've been rich with money. You would rather be rich in God. That's what he would tell you. Would you stand with me all across the room today? I want to pray over you, minister to you for just a moment. 
If we're going to be rich in God, we have to make daily choices. God over gold, people over pleasure, and eternity over ease. Don't store up for yourself riches in this life. Store for yourself riches in the life to come. This life is but a vapor. 82 years is the average lifespan now in the United States. It's a long time. It used to be 73. It's increased over the last 20 years. And that's but a vapor. All of eternity is determined by how we live here on this planet. Let us not be rich in the things of this world. Let us be rich in the things of God. Let us be rich to God. Close your eyes and bow your heads for just a moment so you can have a private space so I can minister to you. As you have your head bowed and your eye closed, you can have a greedy mentality and still be impoverished. You can still be fighting every day and still be miserable as all get out and have all the money you could ever need. Because money is a wicked taskmaster. They reported to me that this weekend, one of our local stores, a man went in, stole some shoes, and as he was walking out, security guards confronted him. He pulled a gun and was about to blow their head off. What? You're going to spend forever in prison over a pair of shoes? Look at that. Look at that greedy money. My life, that guy probably thought, well, I hadn't had it good in life. My life hadn't been fair. So I'm going to go get what's mine. You know what that is speaking? That's the love of money. It's a bad taskmaster. It's a wicked taskmaster. Today, as you stand here with your head bowed and your eye closed, Lord would have you and I both make a fresh commitment. Is Jesus our master or is money our master? Sounds simple when you're in church. When you're amongst the collective of Christians. When we're here in his presence. Boy, that thing gets tested when we're out there in everyday life. When we have an opportunity to take a little extra cash out of the cash drawer. Because our boss hadn't been fair to us anyway. We have an opportunity to take that iPad that that person left on that counter. Friend, I'll tell you something. I'd rather be rich in God. And so if that's your conclusion today, then right there under your breath, I want you to say to the Lord, I want to be rich in you, Jesus. And I want you to make a fresh commitment that he's your master and that money isn't. And then as you're making that statement under your breath, in your heart, God, you are my God. I love you more than money. Would you then also make a statement like this to him from your heart? God, I trust you to take care of my family. I trust you to help me financially. I won't chase after riches, but I'll chase after you. Father, I pray that this would be the heart of every member of Church on the Hill. God, that we'd be rich in you. But Lord Jesus, on that day, when we stand before you, you'll yell out to all the angels, hey, everybody, the church on the hill group has made it here. Come, let's look at all the riches they have stored up. Look at this. I've been waiting for these guys. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name that a shift would happen inside of us. But God, that you could tell us, give something to that guy right there, and we say, yeah, let's do it. And we stop saying, oh, God, if I do that, this is going to happen. God, I pray right now in Jesus' name 
we get delivered from that little bit of greed that causes us to do stupid things like try to buy a laptop out of the back of a car. God, I pray right now in Jesus' name that our love for you would win out over our fear of being poor. That our love for you and our trust in you would win out over the shame of not having things when we were kids. God, that our complete love and trust we give to you in this moment. If you keep your head bowed and your eye closed for a moment, maybe as you've been here today, you say, Pastor, I've been watching you guys. It looks like you really know Jesus, and I don't. Maybe you say, Pastor, I used to be a Christian, but I, life happened, you know, and I just kind of walked away. I don't, I don't think if I died today, I'd go to heaven. Friend, that's sad news to me. Maybe you say, Pastor, I, I don't have a real relationship with Jesus. I know church. I've been to church. I did the religious thing over the years. But it, it seems like you guys actually know God, like you have a friendship with Jesus. I would say that's true. I, Jesus is my best friend. He's my best friend. And he wants to be yours as well. Maybe you would say, well, what do I do? Well, that's the beauty of this whole thing called Christianity. Jesus initiated the relationship. 2,000 years ago, he died on a cross because someone had to pay for the sin that you and I will commit and have already committed. There had to be a there had to be a payment for rebellion. And so Jesus stepped up and he paid for my rebellion, your rebellion, my sin, your sin. I say it like this. He, he created an account with every one of our names on it. And there's an account just for you. Every sin you'll ever commit has already been prepaid. It's been paid forward. So, ooh, that's awesome. How do I access that? Well, the Bible says, confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. And that he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He didn't say give money to the church and then you'll be saved. He didn't say light 25 candles and you'll be saved. He says confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that he is the Christ. The assumption there is by your confession, by the turning of your heart, that you're actually giving yourself to him, allowing him to be the Lord of your life. So today with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you come to the conclusion, Pastor, I'm not right with God. Pastor, I don't don't wanna leave this place without knowing Jesus. Friend, that's a great conclusion. I'd like to connect you with him. I'd like to lead you in a prayer of repentance. I'm not going to call you forward. I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want to point you out. This is a deep, intimate decision that's forever. It's a forever decision. But if you've reached the conclusion that your life is miserable, that the sin, the shame, you don't want it anymore, would you let me pray with you? No one's looking around. If that's you, say, Pastor, I'm not a Christian. I'm away from God and I want to come home. Either one of those two situations. Would you let me pray for you? Would you lift your hand by admitting that and say, Pastor, that's me. I'm not a Christian. I want to get right with God today. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Anybody else? Pray for me, Pastor. It's time. I don't want to live like this anymore. Give you two, three more seconds just to make that decision. Okay, thanks for admitting that. Thank you. Anybody else? Pray for me, Pastor. It's time. I'm ready to serve God. I want Jesus in my life. I want him to be my best friend. I need that. I'm ready for the change. Anyone else? Two more seconds, quickly. Amen. You can put your hands down. Now, those of you that lifted your hand, I'm going to lead you in a prayer, a prayer of repentance. There's nothing magical about these words. What's supernatural is that you responded to God. All I'm going to do is introduce you through this prayer of repentance. In fact, I'm going to ask everyone in the audience to pray out loud with those who lifted their hand. And I believe that as you pray that prayer out, friend, today, it's all about to change. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today I admit I'm a sinner, but I've sinned against you, Jesus. And today, 
I ask you to forgive me. I accept what you did on the cross for me. And here and now, I declare Jesus is my Lord. Wash me clean. Make me new. Write my name in your book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I promise to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name that every man and woman who prayed that prayer from the depths of their heart, that they would feel and sense peace. (laughs) Peace. They don't have to fight against you anymore. The elephant in the room is gone. The shame is lifted. They're your son, your daughter. And then like my kids, they may not always be good. They may be bad at times, but they're yours forever and ever. And Jesus, I pray the joy the joy of being right with you would overtake their heart and their mind. They would realize, wait a minute, I don't have to perform. God loves me. I'm his. And Lord, that they would start a new relationship with you that causes growth, transformation, sanctification. We call that forward as they start on this journey with you. We call it as good in Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen and amen.